as we said, this is Joy Sunday. And throughout this Advent season of waiting and uh, hopefully cultivating expectation, we've been using the Psalms. And uh, as we've said, these are Jewish people's dog-eared old songbook. Uh, we've been using these psalms to frame our prayers, and I, I invite you guys, there's still bookmarks out there with each week's kind of psalm to frame our thoughts. This week we consider joy in the midst of all that waiting. Joy in the midst of everything that's been going on in the news, injustice and turmoil and scandal involving um, our nation's inhumane treatment of our prisoners. To talk about joy like this almost seems like, I don't know, telling someone who's dealing with something really hard, something terminal, to just go show up at a company office party with a smile on their face, you know? For some of us, it might seem kind of forced or fake. For others, and I'm not trying to, like, bum anyone out, people here that are really joyful, but, like, um, sometimes that, that can come at the expense of, like, paying attention to life and what's really happening. So I'd invite you today to not mute those things, to feel those things. So today we come to Psalm 126, and this is a psalm of ascent. And, and if you're like me, you, you didn't necessarily know what that means, a psalm of ascent. So I'll tell you, it's, there's 15 psalms just kind of in the last third of, of the psalms in our Bible. And they're they're the songs that Hebrew pilgrims regularly sang on their way up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem, no matter where you are. If you're at the bottom of a hill or at the top of a mountain, you go up to Jerusalem. You ascend to David's city. These pilgrims sang these songs three times a year. Faithful Jews made the trip. In the spring, they came for Passover, and these are all trips to remember. When they came for Passover, they remember the God that saved them in in the Exodus. Do you remember that story? He passed over them. They put the blood of a lamb on their doorpost. He saved them. He delivered them from Pharaoh's oppression. Then they made a trip in, in early summer for Pentecost. And, and Pentecost it was actually a Jewish holiday before it was our big Holy Spirit Christian holiday. And that's when they would renew their, their, their end of the covenants that God made with them at Sinai with the Ten Commandments. They would renew themselves as God's people. And then their third trip in the autumn, they would come for the Feast of Tabernacles, of, of tents, and, and um, they remembered once more those 40 years they spent roaming around in the wilderness, led by God in a pillar of smoke or in fire, that, that kind of drifting. I was talking with someone last night at a Christmas party who had a really hard time this year with work, and, and he said, I'm learning this year not to grumble. <laughs> he goes, and I'm learning that from the Israelites who spent all that time in the wilderness. It's like, this has been a hard year, but that was a hard 40 years, right? Um, but God was still with them and present amongst them. And the Gospels hint that Jesus and his disciples kept these feasts and they traveled to Jerusalem. These songs or kind of their mixtape uh, on the way. Our psalm, Psalm 126, is a song of joy amidst sorrow. It's a great traveling companion for us on this Advent journey, culminating in Christmas morning. Between Christ's first coming and, and his imminent return in glory, between sorrow and 
the reality of our sinful, broken, hurting world and God's hopeful rescue and renewal and rebuilding and justice and wholeness. So we're going to do something a little different than normal. Normally we have someone come up and read, and that's really great, and I I love that. Um, But today we're going to actually have our band lead us in this song, uh, in the psalm, which is a song, and they're going to do this in kind of a medley, so it's, it's really cool. So just sit back. If you, know, if you know the songs, you might know the first song you can sing, but just sit back and take it in. Those who go out 
sow in their grave They shall come home singing for joy Harvest in hand They shall come home singing for joy Harvest in hand Give him a hand. That's great. And Matt, you can leave the uh, scripture up there, the NIV version. So I want to talk about three things about joy on this Joy Sunday. Three things that the psalm, um, if it doesn't say, it helps us feel First is that joy is tangible. We can feel joy. I mentioned a couple days ago in, in the email that goes out every week <clears throat> that this week was the 50th anniversary of John Coltrane's amazing jazz record, A Love Supreme. Does anyone know that record? Has anyone heard that record? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not like an authority on jazz, but I, I love that record. and. And if you don't know it, the first movement, it's a, it's a four-part suite, and the first movement is called Acknowledgement, and it's got in chant and uh, with his uh, saxophone, um, kind of that, and, and with the bass line, kind of that, I love supreme, I love supreme, and, and it's this, this mantra over and over. And then the last movement is called Psalm, coincidentally. And he actually, there's in the liner notes um, this great poem, and it's really a prayer, and he sat down over that poem with his saxophone and tried to play the notes as he would read it. And you can, you can hear it, uh, especially if you have the, the words in front of you. And part, part of this poem, he says, He will remake us. He always has and he always will. It is true. Blessed be his name. Thank you, God. God breathes through us so completely, so gently we hardly feel it. Yet it is our everything. Thank you, God. Elation. Elegance, exaltation, all from God. Thank you, God. Amen. And I think this shows us this, this is a really fascinating masterpiece. It's a great example of how music helps us to express, but also kind of discover emotions that we don't even really know we have or know how to articulate. I think the Spirit helps use music to hold together all these feelings that don't make a whole lot of sense isolated. Feelings of pain and hope, hurt and joy, and I think that's what this psalm is doing, what Coltrane's jazz is doing. And it does it in a way that's so bodily, so tangible. I think all music does this, you know, whether it's gospel hymns or Negro spirituals or, <clears throat> or indie rock or opera or concert hall piano, it, it takes bodies. If, if you ever watch someone playing music, they're moving their body and somehow they force you also to tap your feet. <laughs> it's, a, it's a power that music has for us. I think even reading scripture out loud does this a little bit. It's kind of a music in and of itself. And it involves our bodies in a way, air traveling from our lungs, up our throat, through our vocal cords, our bodies, not just our minds. It's something so different. It's a little more than just reading scripture 
or thinking something just in your head. So I encourage you, that, that's like the challenge this week, um, as we're contemplating the psalm, say it. Um, even if you're just talking to yourself, that might make you feel crazy. Just say it out loud. There's something better about that. It, it, it's tangible. It's physical. In these psalms, sadness and sorrow get tears. That's like the physical expression of sadness. And, and I think joy gets laughter and song. Gets, it, you know, it gets that part of your belly that laughs. Something to touch and feel. Something... Uh, for our bodies to experience and express. So I think that, that you might be saying, joy is tangible, so what? But I think that makes a lot of sense and a lot of difference, especially in this Advent season, that joy just doesn't capture our attention, our, our thoughts, our imaginations, but our bodies, because we remember and we look forward to God becoming man in Jesus. We call this the Incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled, pitched his tent right in the thick of us. Creates an opportunity for our bodies, all bodies, no matter how sin-wracked or mistreated, our bodies have a chance to be saved, loved, redeemed, resurrected. Uh, Theologian Willie Jennings, he... uh, kind of stands behind me on this link between jazz music and the incarnation. He puts it this way. I wish I could do a good Willie Jennings impression. Anyone at Duke has a Willie Jennings impression, but I don't. Uh, he says, in Jesus, God did not remove the complexity of the divine life, but became a companion for us. He invited us to live freely in the absolute unfathomable depths of grace and divine love. The Son of God's life introduced us to the awesome complexity of the human creature itself. Jesus shows us who we are. We are so much more than we can grasp, understand, or certainly control each of us and all of us together. What I've learned, he says, what I've learned by listening to you and watching so many musicians, especially jazz musicians, is what it means to give witness to that complexity, what it means to be a human being relating to God, relating to each other. Because Jesus took on flesh, we come to realize that flesh matters, even as we battle with the sinful parts of our flesh. We try to understand the dignity and honor and potential for, for renewal of our earthly vessels, and even eventually resurrection. Bodies matter. They matter to God. They should matter to us. We don't escape them. We shouldn't damage them. In fact, they're dwelling places for the Holy Spirit. Sights for joy to happen. That's how we know that we're experiencing joy because we feel it in our bodies. We experience, when we experience joy, we experience it in Christ. In all the complexities of our lives with our families and at work, with our neighbors as we eat and play and pray. And the psalm assures us that our Father rains down all these different opportunities for us to feel joy, for us to be thankful. All around us in the midst of really hard stuff, difficulty and sorrow. Because of God's grace, his future always holds joy for his people. I think that's what the psalm 
primarily says, because of God's grace, joy is coming and you can count on it. We wear that joy now. We, we trust in it. We hope for it. We hide it in our bones and in our hearts. That's why we memorize scripture. We let it seep out because when you memorize it and take it in, it, it somehow seeps out in our words and our actions. Because that's what the incarnation means. When God chooses to bring joy into the world, he embodies it. He puts a body on it. He cases it in the skin and bone and sinew of a little Middle Eastern child in, a, in the middle of strife and turmoil. God looks at that odd and tough and impossible situation and he says, joy, joy to the world. So the first thing is that joy is tangible. The second thing is that joy is with others. Joy happens with others. Joy begs to be shared. I mean, like I enjoy to go to a movie by myself, and Rach can't fathom that I enjoy that. But no one goes to Disney by themselves, you know? Like that would be so weird if you said, I just booked my trip for one. I'm leaving my three-year-old and my one-year-old at home, and I'm going to experience joy at Disney. So it's no wonder that in this Psalm of Ascent, um, and remember, it's a community song. It's no wonder that, that it happens in community. This community remembers aloud, and the, they, they kind of harmonize it, but I don't picture it being a very professional or perfect harmony, right? They harmonize, we harmonize, and, and, and we motion towards Jerusalem. We hope um, for God. We remember how God's acted and... and um, and we look forward to it happening again. And I think that's a little bit of what we do each week. We remind ourselves and each other because it's really easy to forget. We, we forget who God is and how he saves. I think joy done together helps us really experience the fullness of joy. Because when we share in life with others, we're, we're not generally in the same place place, right? Some of us feel joy, some of us are down. Even in like, like my small family, we're never in the same place at the same time, right? There's never one of us that isn't like sick or crabby or tired. Um, like we're not all joyful at the same time. But somehow I think all of that together can equal joy. You know? I think one of us that's not feeling it can kind of share in something that someone else is fe feeling and, and kind of lift us out of it. This is the start of a community of joy. I think this is what Paul says to the Romans at the end of uh, the letter to the Romans. When he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, so that, and he says this, so that they may live in harmony with one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, so that they may live in harmony with one another. It was really cool, um, the music that our musicians led us in, and, and, and I love the kind of the contrast of those two. They're, they're looking at the same text, but they're kind of reading it completely different, even with kind of the same words. I think each of these 
is in its own way kind of a faithful interpretation of Psalm 126. There's differences in paraphrase or accent, and you can hear the main difference, though, is in tone, is in tempo. The first song is a Bifrost art song by a friend named Isaac. And I think that, that one, and we've sung it before together, really pulls out the longing of this psalm. It gives us words and our hearts cry. It says, although we are weeping, help us keep sowing the seeds of your kingdom. You can feel in those words kind of that tension between what is and what it should be. The seeds of the psalm are put in our hands to give us something to do, a tangible reminder of hope. You plant seeds and, and, and you wait. You trust and you sometimes even despair. You get nervous when, it, when it's too rainy or not rainy enough. And, and sometimes you, you forget what you even hoped would spring up, would come out of all of it in the first place. That delay. Right now, if you look on this side of the church, there's a small plot that we plowed up and it's planted over with clover. And we were walking around the building for a, a building inspector, and, and he just like, and it's not that you can walk on it, and, but he's just like walking through it like it's not a garden, you know, because it's really kind of not. It's just clover. It's, it's a weed right now. And, and it's, it's doing something. It's preparing the soil in kind of unseen ways and seemingly passive ways for a coming fertile spring. Um, it's doing it in a way that's so kind of at, in the ordinary that, that you could walk right through it and not even realize that it's something special or has the potential to be something special. It's, that, it's a boring, innocuous plot of clover. Not a lot of people grow clover, right? Uh, yeah. You don't see that at the farmer's market much. But if you have eyes to see, it's, it's a really hopeful thing. It's, real, it's hopeful because it points towards abundance. It points towards harvest. It points towards flourishing. Isn't that the thing about joy, too? I mean, like, real joy. Not, like, fleeting, superficial joy or distractions, but, like, the joy that's in your gut. It puts its hope and expectation in the coming of Christ. That's, that's why when Abby and Eva lit the pink candle, it's able to, you have this pink candle that's amid these somber purple candle, candles of hope and expectation. It kind of like springs up, kind of out of nowhere, unannounced. Like we're, we're obviously looking forward to it. It's always the third week. Um, but it springs up in little and big ways. I think it's, it's hard to even see joy like that coming if you're not already oriented in hope towards Christ. You don't get to that third candle unless you've kind of lit the first two. This, this kind of joy isn't really dependent on what's happening right now. It doesn't shift a whole lot based on circumstances. But it remembers the past well. Like the psalm says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. It's this, it's this memory, but it, it shifts to the future. Somehow in joy, the past remakes the future. 
things are lousy now, but you can count on God to do what he's done in the past again. Find joy in the fact that God will remake the future. Eugene Peterson um, says it really cool. He says, joy builds on the past and borrows from the future. It builds on the past and borrows from the future. That's how we can be kind of in between two advents and experience joy. It's this future borrowing joy that we get tipped off of um, by Jesus in his ministry and some of the things he says in his Beatitudes. He's able to say, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Has that ever bothered you that he says, Happy are those, some translations say, Happy are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. He, he, he's able to, to look someone in the eye seriously and say, Blessed are you. You're blessed. You're um, blessed because God is present with you. You're blessed because God will be present to you in the future, and you will be comforted. We often need each other for this, though, I think. To bear Christ's comfort and blessing now, we remind each other and we, we sing along with each other. If our joy in Christ is with others, I think we stand a better chance of making it through tough times. We actually see them with our friends' eyes. And we see things that we couldn't see with our own. We can see God working kingdom of God growing like a mustard seed or like a clover. And we, we can wait for that springtime. So joy is tangible and joy is with others. And, and kind of the last thing is joy is for others. Joy is for others. The second song, uh, Into the Medley, when it starts to pick up, it's a local musician named Charles Petty and... and um, He's got a band called Folk Psalm that puts psalms uh, to music. And um, his version really accents the joy, the exhilaration of what it feels like to be blessed by God. Part of it says, It was said in many lands, the Lord has done great things for them. Indeed, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are blessed. Indeed, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are blessed. Well, the words aren't that much different than Isaac's version. The tone is really different. Those who go out weeping return with harvest in hand, with something to show for all that time of unreciprocated hope and waiting. Their harvest causes their neighbors, especially their unbelieving neighbors outside of Israel, to look at them and put together the only explanation they can muster. The Lord has done great things for them. Has that ever happened to you guys? Like that friends that don't know the Lord, don't care about faith, um, can, can sometimes look at your life and, and be like, uh, the only way that I know how to explain this is the Lord has done great things for them. You know, like it, that's probably the coolest moment in the life of faith, period. I think it happens more than you think. Sometimes people outside of faith have an easier time seeing when God has shown up than we do, I think we get used to it also. Perhaps our greatest witness then is, is to just be available to God. Available in our waiting and our hoping and our imagining and participating in what God's up to so that people outside, our, our neighbors, can figure it out for themselves 
what it looks like to follow God, to trust in Him, to have Him faithfully come to our rescue again and again. And this doesn't pave a way for, for an easy life or a, a life without obstacles. Probably quite the contrary. Probably a life more like Jesus's. Probably a life that involves a cross and a tomb. Joy is often more noticed by others than ourselves. I think that's generally true because joy is not really for us, but for others. Joy is not really for us at all. (laughs) It's to bless others. It's to to point them to Christ. It's to kind of gather them and put them midstream in our hoping and expectation and looking towards Christ. It's to bring them the very relief and restoration that we want for ourselves. All these things. Restore our fortunes, Lord. I think people want that. They want to be able to say that for themselves. Because joy springs up from an abundance, too. God's abundance. His everlasting fountain of joy. When we're given that, we're given a cup to drink from it in Christ can drink up and share. Like I think of the story of Jesus at the well and John. And he just says, give me some water. (laughs) And then he says, whoever drinks this water I will give them will not thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up for eternal life. Our joy centered in Christ, springing from Christ, is for others to see, to take notice of, to be included in, to be able to say, God has done great things for them. Kind of the last thing, I think it's a good exercise when you read Psalms. It totally casts Psalms in a really different light. Try to put them on Jesus' lips. Try to imagine Jesus saying these, because an interesting thing happens to the Psalms when you start to imagine them. And I think you can do this with almost every song. Because it was probably likely that almost every psalm was on Jesus' lips at one point. Even on the cross, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the psalm. You know, like that, that's his script that, that he uses. Imagine Jesus saying these words, and the psalm takes on kind of a new light. In Christ, you can really hear Israel's song. All of those thousands of years of promises, all that waiting... Or a yes and amen in Christ. That's what Paul says to the Corinthians. You can also picture Jesus in, in the Gospels, his feasting, his, his bearing joy in the, in the presence of people who don't feel a lot of joy, even as he was you know, setting his face towards Jerusalem, to the cross, to abandonment, to death. None of that joy was fake or false, but probably the most kind of real, substantial joy we could imagine. Again, his joy was was tangible. You can almost feel his salty tears rolling to the ground at Lazarus' graveside. And that's like the center point in John's Gospel. It's a verse that everyone memorizes because the shortest verse, Jesus wept, right? But then, not that much later, it says, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. 
Then he, set, he saw the crowds and had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send your workers into the harvest field. Jesus takes up Israel's job, her vocation, her expectations. He fulfills all of her hopes and stands in her shoes. I think he does that for us, too. If we want to know what joy looks like in between, in between two advents, between Christ's birth and his coming again, we've got to look at Jesus of Nazareth. He's going to show us what it looks like, what it means. He's going to show us what hope means. He's going to show us what love means, what joy means, what peace means in the flesh. It's here we find the one in whom to hope, In Jesus, we find a Savior. We find someone who cries with us because he knows exactly what it means to sow in tears. If you're sad, if you're hurting, cry. Don't act like it doesn't hurt because Jesus knows that it hurts. Jesus was there. Jesus is there. In Jesus, we find someone who reaps with songs of joy because he knows just what his Father has done and has promised to do for those who trust in him. We see this with Jesus. When, when we're feasting, you know, Jesus in his ministry um, got accused of a lot of things, one of, one of which had to do with all the partying he was doing. And they asked, why do you do this? And he says, why would you ever fast when the bridegroom is present? This is the feast. This is the wedding. It's not time for diets. This is time to party. Jesus knows about joy. We look at Jesus, we see someone whose joy is with others. He invites us to come along and follow him, to contribute to blessing and joy making in this world and the world to come. When we look at Jesus, we find someone whose joy is completely and totally for others. And Jesus' joy is completely and totally for others. And we're the other. And that's, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we celebrate when we remember and come to this table and share in Christ's body and his blood that he shed for us on the cross. We remember that Jesus' joy is completely and totally for others and we're that other. And we wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You guys pray with me. Father, we <clears throat> thank you so much this morning for Jesus, our, our only hope, our source of joy. And Father, we uh, thank you for sending your Son. It costs you so much. It costs you everything. Uh, sending him into this world, into a human body. And we thank you for what that means for our bodies. We thank you uh, that you sent Jesus as Emmanuel, God, with us. And we thank you that he's for us. Lord, help us um, find in you our source of joy, peace, of love, of hope. Help us look uh, to Jesus even now um, to learn how to, how to do that, how to be that in this world, how to do that. Um, 
in the middle in spite of rough circumstances. Help us learn how to speak that kind of joy to people who just aren't able to feel it or see it. Help us have good eyes uh, to see and ears to hear and hearts and imaginations to look forward to what you will do and, and recognize what you are doing. Help us hope for all these things to spring up in our midst. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.